we are, and actually, can you believe it, it's the last week that we're going to finish Mark. We're going to finish Mark this week. We've been going through Mark for, for a while, since last January. Um, again, it's really, a, I think, a cool thing. Even in the timing of this, I, I made up my mind a while back not to stop and, and, and do different sermons or, or, or preach, uh, you know, just on different topics, like joy, love, peace, all those things that, that we can tend to do this time of year. But just to continue to go on through Mark, and I think it's really cool how this God has brought us to the place of just seeing his incarnation, his ministry, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. We kind of combine Christmas and Easter this year, and it's really been a blessing for me. I hope it's been a blessing for you as well um, as we have, have went through this, and I hope that uh, you've grown and, and, and you've come to see some things maybe a little clearer. Uh, before we jump into our last our text this morning, which is going to be Mark 16, verses 14 through 20, um, I'm going to give us just a little bit of a, of a recap here. Uh, so we started with John the Baptist and Jesus' the baptism. The Trinity was on display. The Spirit descended and the Father proclaimed, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Jesus was tempted through 40 days in the desert. Um, he told us that Time, the time was fulfilled and that the kingdom of God is at hand to repent and to believe. He called his disciples and said, follow me, and you will become fishers of men. And they left their nets. Demons were held to his authority and he alleviated human lives of their destructive presence. He healed many and they continued to come to him. His ministry grew, but he went out and he went throughout the land to proclaim this message. Where the priests weren't willing, he was, and he touched the leper. He honored the faith of, of some men who ripped off a roof to get their friend to Jesus. And to the dismay of the religious elite, he proclaimed, the sins are forgiven, now pick up your mat and walk. He called a traitor of the Jewish people to follow him. His name was Levi. And he brought him and Simon the Zealot together. Enemies in the world, but now united in this ministry. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? He said he came to heal the sick, but only those who recognize their sickness have need of a physician. No one sews a new patch on an old garment, it will tear. And you shouldn't put new wine in old wineskins, it will burst. He is doing something new, something that requires new things. He said that the Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. Sabbath is God's gift of rest, and he is Lord of that rest. He stretched out with her hands. His family thought he was crazy at times, and yet he calls us all family. He taught in parables and told us how to sow seed everywhere, but he is the one that can make it sprout and grow. Let him who has ears to hear, let them hear. Light your lamp for all to see. His kingdom begins with small things like mustard seed but grows in the large things that provide shade for many. He left the crowds and went after the one man that had no hope. Crossed the sea to get to him. Made the wind and the waves obey him, and he delivered that man from a legion of demons and sent him into ministry. With the words to leave the crew, he raised the dead daughter of a temple official. With five loaves and two fish, he fed thousands with twelve baskets left over even the sick that touched the fringe of his clothing were made well. We taught that we, we, that we taught 
He taught us that we must not prioritize our traditions because we don't see clearly. He taught that what is inside is the thing that defiles us, not what's that which is outside. He told us that our own heart is the problem. And you can't just wash the outside and think that the inside will be clean. He healed the Syrophoenician woman's daughter because of her mama bare heart of faith and her refusal to be offended by him. He opened ears to hear and he still does. With seven loaves and a few fish, he fed thousands more with seven baskets left over. He warned us against the leaven of the Pharisees that just a little bit of it goes all throughout. He made the blind to see, and he still does. And he asked each one of us, who do you say that I am? He said that whoever would come after him would need to deny himself and take up their cross daily to follow him. He revealed his glory, which he's had for all eternity. Transformed into brilliant light in front of his closest disciples. In healing a boy of a demon, he told his disciples that some things only come out by prayer. It is the greatest weapon that we have. If anyone would be first, must be last. And whoever is not against us is for us. His concern for children is great, and whoever causes one to sin would be better off with a millstone hung around their neck and thrown into the ocean. He taught us to take drastic measures, to distance ourselves from temptation, pluck out your eye and cut out your head. He said to keep it salty. He taught us that marriage, the marriage covenant is sacred, not to divorce, but to fight for our marriages. He invited the children to come in. He still loved a rich young ruler who loved money more than he wanted eternal life. With God, though, all things are possible. Whatever we give up here, he tells us will be rewarded with what is to come. He prophesied his own death and resurrection and told us that whoever would be great must be the servant of all and the first must be the slave to all. He healed a guy named Bartimaeus of blindness and in so doing he freed him of his beggar's cup. He entered triumphantly into Jerusalem, king indeed. He cursed the fig tree, reminding us not to look good from a distance, but up close as well. He cleansed the temple of corruption. He taught us that when you when you pray, do so in faith. Faith honors God, and so God honors faith. And he can cast mountains into the sea. Remember to forgive. He was tested and accused, and he simplified the complexity of the law by telling us to love God and love people. He honored a poor widow who gave out of her poverty and again exposed the religious elite to their blindness and their corruption. He warned us about what the future holds, but he promises his return. Know the seed and the Be found doing what you're called to do. He was anointed in Bethany, and he gave us our practice of communion for the Passover meal. Through Peter, he shows us not to rely on our own abilities. He, played, he prayed through blood and sweat and told us that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He was betrayed by one of his own. He was arrested and set before a kangaroo court. He was scourged by the Romans, mocked, beaten, and spit upon he became the Passover lamb, accursed on the cross for you and I, and he died to bury sin so that it might be remembered no more. And he rose again from a borrowed grave because he didn't really need one, and he sits now at the right hand of power with all authority in heaven and on earth given to him. And he has given to us a great commission to join in the greatest cause ever given.
So that brings us to verse 14 of chapter 16 of Mark. And it says this afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by opening signs. The Gospel of Mark. It's interesting here how it starts out, and, and it starts out that, that Jesus goes in, and again, we talked about this last week, that it was the women who went, it was the women who went to the grave to, to, to tend to his body, and we talked about the bravery of, of, of those ladies and, and how the, the disciples, but to everybody, he was dead, and to the disciples, they were just there, and, and they were hanging out, and, and when we see here that he, he comes in, and the, the first thing that he does is that he rebukes them for their unbelief. Why don't you believe? And, and, you know, for us, we're like, yeah, why didn't they believe? Why don't those guys have, well, why don't we believe? And as we consider this great commission, as we consider all of this gospel, all of the things that God has done for us, why do we sit in the same place? Why are, is it that we are stricken with unbelief? It's been said before, and you've heard, what if, what if we had been given the, the, the cure for cancer? Wouldn't we be at every cancer center? Wouldn't we be at every hospital? Wouldn't we be telling everybody about the cure for cancer? You couldn't shut us up. But the reality is, is the church has been given a greater message than the, than the cure for cancer. It's the, it's the truth. It's the one true thing that everybody needs. Even if they have cancer, they can have eternal life in Christ. But even a cure from cancer in this world won't save anyone from the hell to come apart from Jesus. See, the disciples aren't great. They're scared to death. They're hiding in this room. They're, they're, they're worried about what's coming next and what their life looks like. And, 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 and am I going to have the same thing or whatever? You see, they're not great. They're just people. They're just messed up people like we are. But these are the very people that God is about to use, that Jesus is using to begin his church and to start a completely new revolution around the whole place. Just like you and I, the reality of us is that we're not great. But God doesn't need great. He's great. And he's the one who fills in all of our gaps, and he's the one who does the work of, of causing seeds to grow. You and I are just called to go out and to sow a lot of seed, to sow seed everywhere, to, to not be concerned. The one thing about the sower, the, the parable of the sower is that the sower sowed everywhere. He sowed his seed on rocky ground. He didn't say, oh, that's rocky ground. It probably won't grow there. No, sometimes things grow in rocky ground. And, and, and so, so we have been commissioned. We've been called to go. He said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. He has given us a great commission. And, and it's truly great. Matthew 28 says this, it says that, it says, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How much authority? All authority. And notice that the text says this. Because of that, because that Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore... Because of that, resting in that, going in that authority as a representative of who he is. Sometimes we have to understand and we have to maybe get a little bit of a new concept of of what it is sometimes to take the Lord's name in vain. We always just think of it as cursing, but to take his name would be to go in his authority. And if we go in his authority, but we go in an unworthy manner, then we're taking that name truly in vain vain, that we need to take that name and and take it in the context and and in the reverence that it so deserves, because all authority in heaven on earth has been given to him. It's all authority, and and it goes back, this this sermon is, is this very message, and it's not one that we like, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about this commission that we've been given. It's been made about you. Certainly, God has made things about you. He died for you. But why? So that you could then go. Therefore, all authority. He sits at the right hand of power, and all authority has been given to him. Daniel 7, 13 and 14, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one, that shall not be destroyed. The word is there for go, it is a command, it is not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. It's the great great cooperative mission between the church and Jesus and what he's doing in this world. The word there to the nations, the word doesn't necessarily just mean a conglomerate of all the people into one nation. It's the ethnos. It's the ethnic groups within those nations. it's, It's reaching into those places. And there's a promise in the Bible that says every tribe Every tongue and every nation will have representation in heaven. It'll all be there. See, John 17 tells us this. It says, Jesus in his great prayer for unity and his prayer for you and I before his his death, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask only for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. What an amazing prayer that that Jesus was praying for those who, who aren't yet to come even. Yes, for us, but also for those who are yet to come. And the reason that they will be coming is because of the witness that, that you and I have for this gospel. 
Luke 24, and I said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Where do those witnesses come from? Isaiah 43, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant who I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he, that I am the, the great I am. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. God, this is this proclamation. Listen to this. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be none after me. There is no other God. And it says, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. Who is Jesus? He's the Savior. Therefore, he's God. We fulfill the great commission through faith, through belief in this message, through an understanding of the reality that this message is the only hope for humanity. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. This is Jesus' proclamation for salvation. There is no other way. You see, we, we do it by faith because faith honors God, and therefore God honors faith. We are sent out. We are sent to go. And that's very different from God saying, they all need to get into your church. Right? Now, as we go out, we can help them to get in here but you see, the proclamation isn't for the rest of the world, that this great commission isn't for the world where there's this message that God says you need to all get into church. The commission is that the church needs to go out into the world, and that the, world, the, the church needs to be present in the world. You see, if you don't have influence somewhere into an unbelieving realm, you should. You should. I had a great, interesting experience this weekend. We were at a hockey game, and, and we went, and it was, we went with a lot of different people locally and stuff, and I don't know if any of them really or were believers. Maybe. Maybe one, but I, I don't know. Anyway. But, but it was interesting to be a part of that realm, and, and as, as people kind of imbibed a little bit and were, were having kind of a good time hanging out, they, they started, this one guy kept telling me, I know what you do. And I respect it. <laughs> and then he would profusely apologize about his language, you know. And we, we have to learn how to be in those places. Because it, led to, it began to lead to a spiritual conversation about the loss of his father. And about how he's been pretty angry for 17 years because he's upset. And I was able to say, well, I, I understand loss very well. And I know what it can be like to, to question and, and, and wonder and struggle in, in those areas of faith. We should sit down and have a conversation. And then another guy even saying, you know, there's something, there's something different about you guys and, and, 
and your boys and the, and the way that they approach hockey. And, and he just kept saying, there's something, there's something different. And, 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 he, and then he said, when I grow up, I want to be like you. Which, if you knew me, you see, and, and, but, but all of it just, it, it's got a point somewhere else, right? He says, tell him, you know, like, I'm not raising hockey players. I'm trying to raise men of integrity. But hockey's a great tool in that, you know. But, but, but we have to be there. We have to be in those places. And, and it can be really easy and really just kind of comforting to just be comfortable here, to not be reaching out, to not be a part of some of those things, to kind of Christians, we tend to just live in our own little bubble a lot of times, and that is not the calling. The calling is to be in the world but not of it, to be visibly present in it but, but decisively different in your actions and how you're dealing with things and what's going on in the middle of it, so much so that, that hopefully it stands out. I'm not saying those things to, 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 to be a pat on the back. It's... It, it's all God. I'm such a wretch, you know. Had you known, I mean, I, I can identify with these guys because I was one of these guys. That, that was a funny thing. Is a, one of the, another guy felt the need to come to the one guy's rescue, who was apologizing to me for cussing so much, and and he said, "You, you just, you know, he, he used to be a cowboy." <laughs> and I said, <laughs> Like, I was like, yeah. And then I, then I just messed with him. I just messed with the guy. I was like, yeah, I heard you kept saying that. What, is that. what does that mean? Does that mean like go fast or something? Because he kept dropping this one particular word, you know. And, and, and then he was like, I'm, I'm sorry for that. And I was like, oh, no, I've never heard that before. I was like, um, I was, I, I, I was like well, what, what does that mean, you know? And we can be either offended by people or we can try to get it. We can try to understand. And, and we can try to, to try to find a place to connect instead of a place to divide. Remember, Jesus went for the world. He didn't come against the world. He, went, he came for the world. We as the church, we do a great job sometimes of talking about what we're against. We need to recognize that we're called to go for, that we're called to go out of here and to go forth. You see, Romans 10.9 just says this. It, it, it tells us that... that Believing and speaking are synonymous. That when we, when we proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, that when it comes out of our mouth, that, that that's really synonymous with belief. That we talk about what we believe. We talk about what we're excited about. Out of the mouth proceeds that which fills the heart. And believe in his resurrection. We believe that, that he was raised on the third day. When we believe that, it's the very thing that empowers us to go out. It's the very thing. The resurrection was the thing that changed everything about the disciples, that took them from being cowering back in this place, hiding into going out and going into the world. And it's concentric circles. It's, it's that idea that, you know, we're, we're told to, you know, beginning in, in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's this concentric circle that begins with you. It's like, it's like the pebble in the pond. The, the, the initial splash is you, but then it needs to go out. We're never called to just be a people who are sitting back, just getting, you know, overweight, sitting, eating chips, and sitting on the couch. We're meant to be taking what's given to us and going out and making a difference in this world. But it starts in our home. It starts by discipleship within our own homes. It starts by discipling our own kids and raising up the next generation. 
It's where it starts. As a matter of fact, that part is so important that if we really don't get that part right, we got no business going anywhere else after that. It requires a healthy church. If we're going to go out and, and we're going to be something, we're going to be um, a discipling church, if we're going to be a great commission church, then it's going to require that we be healthy. It's going to require that we have a commitment to the body, not to people, but to the body. That we're committed to one another within this body, and we're committed also to not just to coming in here on Sundays, but truly being a part of something greater and something bigger. Because cooperatively in this commission, it's the only way we can get things done. You see, individually we can get some things done, but we can get a whole lot more done as, as, as a group of, of people. And you see, when you're not here, or if you're not here, then we're less. We're just less. And we get that not everybody's here. No, we're not. This isn't a cry to be here every single Sunday. We're not legalistic about this. But church isn't just Sunday. Church isn't just something where we sit down and we, we check it out online. Church is relational. And without the relational component, we don't really have church. We just have information. And information is not enough to, to change things. You see, things change because relationships are built. You want to change the world out there? I, I'm Personally, I'm way more relationally evangelist, evangelic or whatever you would say than just go, let's go get our soapbox out and let's just go yell at everybody on a corner. That can happen and that works. God works in all kinds of ways. That happens. But when you go and you build a relationship with someone... That's the place where, where something starts to change. Let them see into your life. Be vulnerable with them. Don't let them keep thinking that you're, because you go to church on Sunday, that you got it all together, because you don't. Be vulnerable with them. Be transparent. Let them know about this hope, though, and, and what has changed your perspective on these things. See, it's about the church. The reason that it requires a healthy church is because this is about the church moving as a body. This is the way the church is designed. It's not individuals moving this thing. It's every part, every component. Each person brings something unique and different and different giftings and talents and perspectives and relationships and scenarios out in the world. And we bring all of that together and we move forward into the world. And Jesus says that the gates of hell can't overcome that. Remember, gates are a defensive weapon. They're not an offensive weapon. We're not on the defense, we're on offense. Too many times, though, Christians are on defense, we're just defensive, right? We're angry, we're defensive, we feel like that the world is, is we're losing, but we can't lose. It won't happen, but we got to move. See, the church is this interesting organization. How many organizations do you know of that exist for those who aren't part of it? Not very many. But the church exists actually for those who aren't yet part of it. Why do we exist? Well, we exist to equip the, the, the body to do the ministry. That's, that's, my, that's our job as the leaders of the church, all the leadership of the church. The job of, of the leadership is to equip the body of the church to do the ministry. Not to go do the ministry, that's how, but this is how the world has done it. This is how America has started to do church is that, is that we, we hire enough staff that they just do it and we show up. And if we don't like it, then we go somewhere else. And, and that's not the perspective that the church is meant to have. 
The church is, is there. It exists for those who aren't yet a part of it. It, it exists to equip you, um, to grow you spiritually, to help you, if you don't know Jesus in the first place, to, to help you to do that, but then to grow. But for what? To go. To go and to reach the world. You see, John 3.16, we like that, but we've got to read it through to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The whole world is in a pit out there, and Jesus is the way out. Jesus is the way out, and, 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 and so he's the one who's willing to go into the pit and to carry somebody back out of that. Why? Because we're all already there. We're already condemned. Sin has condemned every single human being on earth, but God loved everyone so much that he's done this thing. So do we keep it to ourselves? That's the big question. If we're knowing all of these things, and, 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 and when we know these things, we're now accountable. We're accountable before God to what we do with it. And one day, if you're a believer, you've no danger of ever sitting before God in true judgment. But we will sit before him and give an account for what we were given and what we did with it. We're really good about talking about what has been done in us, but actually the, the consistent message and the one that we all share is what's been done for us. We've all had a variety of things done in us. God has done different things for different people on different levels. Not everybody has the same experience or the same testimony of what God has done in them, but we all have the same testimony of what he has done for us. I leave us with this, Ezekiel 33, 7 through 9, so you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Now, because of what Jesus has done, we don't sit in danger of this idea of the blood being just on our hands in, in this sense that, that, that we're told, but, but, but there is an accountability that God is telling us here. There is an accountability that I've given you, that because you've been saved, because you've been saved and you've You've, you've grown and you've come to know these things, that there is the expectation that you will go into the world and you will proclaim the gospel, that it will come off of your mouth, it will come off of your lips. Maybe it's time for a reset, and I think in our church body it's a great time for a reset, that we really just take a minute and we take some time and we evaluate everything we're doing. This is what we're doing, actually, on leadership level, is we're looking at what we're doing, why we're doing it. Should we continue to do it? Should we change it? Should we tweak it? How, should we adapt it? Should we get rid of it entirely? What does it look like? 
But I think, too, in our own lives individually, too, you see, we have, to, we have to look at this and we have to evaluate. We have to say, where am I at today? Are there things that need to stay? Are there things that need to go? Do we need to clean house? Or just Jeff was just talking about this morning how it was kind of a blessing to move every two or three years because you purge every few years, you know, a little bit. See, we have a way of accumulating junk. I have a way of accumulating junk, both physically and spiritually in my life. And there are times where it's just time to just get rid of some of that. Just get it out of here. Just to remember what is the important thing. What's the first thing? Where are we at, church? Where do we want to go? You see, everybody out there is dying to be a part of some kind of a movement. Some kind of a some kind of something that has meaning and purpose, something that, that is moving purposely through the world is making a difference in the world. Everybody's looking for some kind of a message to, to get a hold of and to tag on to and, and give meaning and purpose to, our, to their lives. And we, the church, has been given the greatest message, the greatest purpose, the greatest reason to go out there and to live for something else. So, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are sending us. We thank you that you give meaning and purpose to our lives. Lord, help us that we wouldn't be caught up in things that aren't worthy of our time or our attention, things that aren't worthy of our affection or our, or our time. Lord, help us that we, would, that we would reach out into the world, that we would love the world in the way that you do, that we would have eyes to see it the way that you see it, that we would desire to make a difference in the world around us. Help us to know you, God, and, and to trust you in a whole new way. Help us to enter into this season and, and just get rid of the things that burden us. Lord, you tell us that sometimes we carry way too much stuff and, and, and that, that it, it causes us to be overwhelmed. It causes us to be, get weary and to be overburdened. And so, Lord, we thank you that, that your, your yoke is easy that your burden is light. And when we carry that, we find meaning and purpose and goodness. And so, Lord, we just want to be a discipling church, Lord. We just want to be a great commission church, Lord. We just want to be a prayerful church. We want to live with purpose, on purpose. We want to love well, Lord. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.